Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Pam, how are things today? It's good. I'm really excited about today's guest. I know um, for myself, I hear a lot of our survivors complain about fatigue. Um, You know, sometimes whenever you and I brainstorm about topics, um, we kind of struggle. But I think this one fell right in our lap. Um, I received a magazine in the mail, the Cure Summer 2020 edition. And the first thing says, outrunning fatigue. and. No, it's the cover story. (laughs) Yes, cover story. So why not go to the expert that knows a lot about fatigue and um, help our listeners understand what fatigue is and how we can um, help them and maybe combat some of their symptoms? Absolutely. You know, uh, we read through the article. You and I talked. We were looking for uh, someone to talk about this subject because it is so near and dear to many of our survivors and many of our listeners out there. Um, struggle with fatigue and understanding fatigue and combating fatigue. And so, uh, yeah, we're very excited today to uh, have someone who was uh, quoted in the article and interviewed in the, in the, in the article. Uh, we have Lee Kincheski. Uh, she's an advanced nurse practitioner from the Fox Chase Cancer Center in Philadelphia that's associated with Temple University, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and she's an advanced nurse practitioner there. Lee, how are you? Hi, good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. Great. We are super excited uh, to have you uh, and and be able to join us on our podcast today. Uh, So let's just start at the the very beginning. You know, tell us about yourself. I already mentioned that you work uh, in Philadelphia and uh, talk about kind of what you do there. Sure. Um, So I've worked with cancer patients for 13 years now, and I have spent my entire career working in oncology. It's very near and dear to my heart. And for the last five years, I've worked as a nurse practitioner in support of oncology and palliative care. And what our work consists of is a lot of symptom management, uh, which includes pain, nausea, anxiety, certainly fatigue is something that I think I see in almost everybody. Um, And I work with patients across the cancer continuum. So people who um, have curable disease that they're undergoing treatment for, people who are survivors and people who are more sick. I see patients uh, in the outpatient setting and I also see them in the inpatient setting should they need to be admitted. And I think one of my favorite parts of my practice is that I do see people, again, sometimes from the time they're diagnosed two years after they finish treatment and really getting to establish a close relationship with patients because we work with them throughout the entire process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Where you work is in Philadelphia and a part of the Temple system, correct? That is correct. University. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, So I was reading in this article um, that they state that between 80 to 100% of people with cancer report fatigue. Um, Can you tell us what cancer fatigue is? Sure. So um, thank you for bringing that up, Pam. I think fatigue is something that sometimes I feel like goes a little um, underappreciated or underrecognized because it's not quite as obvious as losing your hair. We don't have, it's not like, you know, when your blood counts go down and we have blood um, lab results that, that show that fact. It's not nausea, which is, you know, usually 
um, something that's you know very obvious. It's sort of a little bit beneath the surface. Um, yet that being said, it's the most common side effect we see in our cancer patients. Um, you quoted 80 to 90%, and you know there's different studies showing different numbers, but they're all very high. They're all they're all up in that range. And you know what fatigue is is it's it's tiredness and it's an exhaustion, but it's absolutely persistent. It's just constantly, constantly there. Um, it has both physical uh, and emotional or cognitive components to it. I think certainly that latter piece, the emotional or cognitive, sometimes um, isn't as well appreciated. But not only do people feel like they don't have physical energy to be active, it's like mentally they feel like they can't quite gear themselves up to be as engaged. And this is all very distressing for a patient. Um, it's something that feels like it, it, it inhibits them from kind of being themselves. So that I think is, is probably a, a slightly elaborated definition of cancer-related fatigue. Right. Sure. And, you know, I think one of those things that you talked about was um, it's it's different than tiredness. Um, can you expound on that a little bit? Because I think sure. I think some of our, our, our listeners and our survivors, you know, um, maybe struggle with um, understanding. It's like I'm tired. I should I mean, I need to take a midday nap or something like that. But it's totally different. Right. Right. Um, excellent point you bring up. So when we try to sort of compare how fatigue is different than, you know, sort of a more garden variety tiredness, I think when we look at tiredness, all of us as people experience tiredness. And that's usually irregardless of our state of health. And I think one of the big differences is with tiredness, we can sort of recognize what are some pretty clear contributing factors. You know, I didn't sleep well. I'm really stressed from whatever it is that's going on in my life. Um, sometimes physical tiredness comes from I've just been very active and running around. And we kind of know that if we slow down a little bit, get a good night's sleep, do some self-care, this, this should yeah. sort of remedy itself. Um, fatigue, it's just, it's again, the, the constant persistent, even if you're sleeping adequately, even if you're trying to slow down and, and allow your body to heal and rest, it just doesn't go away. And it also seems very sort of out of proportion to how active and how much somebody is doing, um, where maybe you were up and, you know, you went shopping yesterday, but now you feel completely exhausted today. And that wouldn't quite be normal. So I think one of the big differences is that there is tiredness. I think in some simplified versions, we, we discuss uh, fatigue and use the term tiredness, but it's so much more than just that. I know that, and I hear it very often that um, they feel just washed out, exhausted. Mm -hmm. What are some symptoms um, that are related to the cancer-related fatigue? Um, and that's uh, that's an interesting question. I think in many ways, think of fatigue as, as a symptom sort of in itself, but I think it helps to think about what else, how else can we describe and what are some other pieces to it? Um, so I think when I think of what kind of contributes to fatigue. It's this, this limited energy. Sometimes people describe having muscle aches where it's like their muscles almost just don't work as well. They have trouble thinking clearly. They feel weak. And all this combined is what creates this feeling of extreme exhaustion. You know, Pam, I, I know that when, when our survivors come and visit with you for their treatment summary and their care plan, um, that tends to be one of the things I know you've told me almost every single one come in and they, and they visit about that. And I'm just so tired. And it seems like it's really um, hard to explain that, especially to someone who's never been there. Right. I know it's, 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 a, it's a, it's a hard thing. It's, it's, it, as you said, uh, Lee, it's talking about like, um, it's totally different. It's compounded, it's muscle aches and so forth like that. Um, if, if we can, is there, I know it's cancer related. So we know, that potentially 
their cancer or their treatment of cancer leads to this, but is there a better thing to kind of put our finger on what really causes cancer-related fatigue? Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's sort of a million-dollar question. Right. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a clinician, so when it comes to kind of more of these, you know, biomarkers and kind of nitty-gritty um, physiological processes, that's not something that I'm an expert in. You know, we do see these higher levels of um, interleukins in people and cytokines and things like that. I, I don't know how terribly helpful for patients those kinds of answers are, sure. but I think, you know, we think about what, what causes the fatigue. It's a combination of, of the cancer itself, but it's not quite that simple because we know that fatigue persists into survivorhood. You know, once people have, you know, the, the cancer causes the fatigue, the treatments certainly cause the fatigue. Um, but then even once all that is said and done, people still will feel this extreme tiredness. And I think that that's part of what makes it really hard is that we we don't quite have a nice crisp explanation for patients. And I think when patients try to talk to their families and their friends and the people around them and describe what they're going, to, going through, um, what I hear a lot of is people will say to them, right, but you're, you're done with all of this. So what do you mean you're tired? Like you're not trying hard enough. You know, you, you need to sort of, you you have to do this. I don't like that phrase have to, Um, but that's what they feel. Um, They're hearing from people. And I think sometimes people are trying to be empathetic. They're trying to encourage a patient to do more to, you know, kind of get back in the saddle and start living life again now that they've made it through their cancer treatment. And that can all be with the best of intentions and, and ultimately maybe some, some empathy, but it's really sometimes misses the mark. And, um, you know, I think for patients, it can be just be so hard because it's like, unless you've actually lived this, it's really, really hard to understand it because in some ways it it doesn't quite make sense naturally. You're right. I mean, I know that a lot of the, um, uh, family members feel you're, you're finished. You should be happy. Um, you should be living your life and being joyful and everything should just be done. And it's not the case. And that I think is a really, really hard thing to accept. Um, I think of so many patients, I think mentally gear themselves up, you know, I got to get through this radiation or I have to recover from the surgery. I have to get through X amount of cycles of chemo. And then there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I can put this all behind me and I can go on to, to, to being normal. And when that's not how it works out, it's, it's a huge disappointment. Um, you know, I, I think of how long the fatigue lasts is probably one of the most common questions I get answered. And we don't have great longitudinal studies to really kind of answer that question. Um, so it's very humbling for me to have to sort of give something very generalized and say, you know, we, we just don't know. It varies by individual. Um, I know that there was a, a study in breast cancer patients that said that even five to 10 years after diagnosis, about 34% of patients still had fatigue. So, um, you know, and I hope that that's not something that to patients is demoralizing to hear that, um, but I hope maybe it, it, it normalizes it a little bit. And that's what I try to work with with patients to understand that you're not the only one and it doesn't necessarily mean there's there's something wrong, right. um, that this, this sort of is something that um, you know, we do see in, in quite a few patients. Wow. And I think, and I think that can be comforting too, right? Knowing that it's to be expected. I mean, or or knowing, you know, having an answer for what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, knowing that again, it's, it's, it's not just you. And then too, saying to patients, if you can reach out to maybe some other survivors, maybe your family, your friends, some other people in your social circle don't understand this, but it's quite likely that another cancer patient will. So you were talking about um, treatment. So chemo, radiation, immunotherapy can um, contribute to the cancer-related fatigue. Can there be underlining causes of the fatigue? 
Sure. So um, certainly, you know, we're, we're here discussing cancer-related fatigue, but there's all sorts of um, different different processes that can contribute to fatigue. And if anything, that's why we consider it in the medical world to be kind of a very nonspecific uh, symptom because there can be any, any um, variety of factors. Um, usually, I would say any kind of other serious illness, whether somebody has kidney problems or liver problems or heart problems can, can contribute to fatigue in itself and certainly compound cancer-related fatigue. Um, anemia is definitely a cause. I know a lot of cancer patients, you know, the, the um, providers keep a close eye on blood counts. And sometimes I have patients who come into the office and they say they're really fatigued and they also happen to have a low hemoglobin. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is actually something that, you know, this piece of it we can solve. Uh, depression and anxiety certainly contribute to defeat, to fatigue and those are closely intertwined. Um, so it's hard because it can become a bit of a chicken and an egg, you know, are you, is your mood down because you're not able to do many things and you feel frustrated and you feel like there's part of your life you can't get back? Or um, are you feeling depressed or are you, are you feeling, um, is the fatigue causing the depression or is the depression then causing the fatigue because your mood's really down, you don't have energy to go do things. Um, and it can become, you know, again, it's, it can be really hard to tease out what's really causing what. Um, also sleep. I think is a huge thing. Um, I tried to talk about sleep hygiene with all my patients who endorse fatigue. And I think it's hard because it's like, they're kind of the things we all sort of know we should be doing, but it's hard to actually do that. But they include things like trying to go to bed and wake up at the same time each day, which I know is so much easier said than done. Trying to limit naps to no more than 20 minutes. Again, trick yeah. difficult, no caffeine past noon. Um, no screen time prior to bed. And, you know, sometimes if you're trying to lie in bed and just have trouble falling asleep, give yourself about 20 minutes or so. And then maybe you need to get up and read a book or, you know, try to do something to pass the time and sort of relax your body, but not lie in bed frustrated that you're not falling asleep. So um, I think, you know, to, to answer the question, there's the medical things, medical diagnoses that contribute to fatigue, but then there's also some um, kind of more behavioral things or, um, some, some measures that maybe are medical, but also to some degree psychosocial. I know whenever I meet with our patients, um, our survivors that I really stress the importance that they need to talk to their doctors about these symptoms. And um, sometimes I think they feel guilty just because, you know, that doctor saved their life and they understand that these are side effects, so they should just deal with them. And so, um, sometimes that's hard for them to understand. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I always um, try to encourage patients to, to know that we want to know what's going on in their lives. We, it's important to us to know what they're thinking and feeling and don't ever feel like, you know, we're here for them. They're not here for us. So don't feel like you have to self-censor um, anything that's going on, you know, because I think, you know, some people have an eager to please personality and, and, and that's nice, but, you know, we, uh, we definitely want patients to feel like they can be honest with us. Right. Sure. You know, Lee, you mentioned uh, some great ways to kind of manage um, and, and maybe help combat a little bit of the cancer fatigue. Um, but is, is there, are there other things? You know, I, we read um, in the article and actually, um, ironically, um, we've so in, all of our listeners, you, you need to go back and, and listen to our uh, self-care uh, episode with Mary Margaret Gertie. Um, where she introduced to us the spoon theory, and it was actually referenced in the in the article about you know uh, what daily activities um, cost in spoons. Well, I'm going to spend you know I have ten spoons to spend, and I spend one on getting out of bed, and I spend another one on uh, getting ready. And so you you limit your you know you're going to have to do something tomorrow night or tonight 
So you have to, you know, do something else differently so you don't expend all of your spoons. But what other ways, how, what else can our, our listeners do to help manage and combat? Um, I just have to pause for a minute to say, um, I love that uh, concept of the spoons. I hadn't heard that specifically, um, but it's a concept that I talk about. And now that's something that I think is very concrete and specific in terms of how to describe it. So thank you certainly for that, Pearl. Um, so I think when we think about ways to, to treat fatigue, um, there's kind of pharmacological and there's non-pharmacological measures. Okay. And I think a really interesting study that was done that, that I quote often um, was a study that it was, it was this large, large um, meta-analysis that incorporated um, over 1,000, or excuse me, over 100 patients, or excuse me, 100 studies and used over 11,000 patients cumulatively. And it broke the interventions down into exercise, exercise plus psychological measures is the second category. The third category being just psychological measures. And then the fourth category being pharmacological. Um, and I looked at it and said, what sort of works the best? If we were to compare these four categories of interventions, sort of, you can't quite do it head to head, but at least try to try to see if we can, uh, best we can compare them. And it showed that exercise, uh, psychosocial, psychological, and psychological plus exercise were the best. So I think what it kind of goes to show is that, you know, the idea that there's a pill or a medicine that can help is, you know, it, they're limited in, in what they can really offer. So going back to looking at those different modalities, exercise is kind of number one. Um, and there's many, many studies out there to show how exercise can be beneficial to patients who are experiencing fatigue. I think um, one of the key questions is patients will say, okay, so, so just tell me what to do. Like, what do you mean by exercise? And it's hard because I think even for people who don't have much in the way of health issues, exercise varies by individual. You know, we all are in a different place as far as how fit we are, mm -hmm. what's going on with our bodies, even, you know, what we have access to. So I think the very sort of general recommendation we make goes back to what comes from the Surgeon General, which is if you can do 30 minutes of moderate exercise most days of the week, four plus, you're, you're doing well. And I think there's been, there's been studies that show that patients who do that with cancer have better outcomes, including less fatigue. Uh, and I try to, you know, also meet patients where they're at. You know, for some people, that means walking around the block. You know, that's, that's, if that's what challenges you physically, that's wonderful. That's great. Don't let anyone make you feel like that's not progress and that's not meaningful. Um, they, there are studies looking at kind of more specific interventions. Yoga is one that comes up a lot. Um, I think there was even uh, once they looked at yoga in breast cancer survivors and after just four weeks of doing yoga regularly, they showed less fatigue. So if people have access and that's something that's reasonable for them to do, I recommend yoga. Um, I know um, Tai Chi is getting some more attention. It's kind of still this like... Um, mindfulness um, sort of meditative exercises that can, I think, both help physically and, and mentally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think also things like swimming and that. So it, it kind of varies a lot by individual, but I think as you know, at least doing something is certainly uh, really, really a great place to start and probably the number one thing a patient can do. Uh, when it comes to more sort of psychological interventions, uh, some of what's recommended is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I'm not an expert in CBT, and I'll be honest, I refer people out for that to sure. sometimes psychology or social work or psychiatry, but it's sort of a way of kind of reframing some of our thinking and also including some um, relaxation. It kind of challenges some of our notions that are distressing. 
so I think for patients, when they start to build up that distress around activity, when they start to become very frustrated with what they can't do physically, this is a way to kind of redirect some of that, what really is a little bit of negativity. Uh, so those can certainly be very helpful. And then for um, pharmacological, it's usually corticosteroids or psychostimulants are sort of the two classes of drugs that are most commonly used. There's some other things that people talk about, but there's really not a lot of evidence behind them. Um, steroids, and many patients have had steroids at some point or another, um, can be put a little boost in your step, but they come with a slew of side effects, muscle weakness, higher blood sugar, water retention. So they're really not the greatest thing for people to be on long-term. Sure. Um, I sometimes will give it to people if there's like a very specific event, they kind of want to get an extra boost in their step for, but it's, you know, fatigue's going to be lasting for years. We don't really recommend having patients on steroids for years. And then um, psychostimulants would be something like methylphenidate, also known as Ritalin, um, which a lot of people know that in the context of children with like ADHD. Wow. Um, and that too, um, you know, I think I have found... Um, it can cause people to feel more anxious. So certainly if there's a patient that's already experiencing anxiety, this might not be a good choice. Um, it can cause, you know, if people have underlying heart conditions, it can be problematic. And sometimes I think it just doesn't work as well as people like. And a lot of patients will sometimes say, you know, I'm in the process of recovering from this diagnosis. I'm trying to peel back pills. I'm trying to take less. Like, yeah, this kind of isn't the direction I want to go. So I'll be honest, I use steroids and uh, psychostimulants usually for, for, for people who are sicker. Um, and we're just kind of thinking a little bit less long range. Um, aside from kind of those categories, I think there are some basic behavioral and um, kind of, um, I'll just say behavioral measures that can be really helpful. Um, there's attention given to bright light, bright light therapy, um, where if patients, you know, they get a bright light and even for 30 to 90 minutes in the morning, um, use that. It can, it can help fatigue. Um, you can buy products and, you know, most major online vendors. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for prioritization and delegation. And I try to sort of coach patients on this, you know, you might not have energy to go to three stores. So what's the top priority? What's number two? What's number three? Is there a store? Or maybe you can get all the things you need. Um, and some of that I think is a little bit of accepting and owning the fact that you're fatigued and you might not be able to do everything. And sometimes that in itself is a barrier. Um, and also delegation, um, this is the time to ask people for help. This is the time to insist the kids do their chores. Um, this is also a time where I think patients, you know, I remind them, many of us derive joy from helping people we care about. So, you know, you might be asking some neighbors or some friends to assist you, but many of them are very happy to do it. Um, if they can, you know, do any kind of errands, help cook food, things like that. So um, some of this sounds like sort of common sense measures, but I think a lot of us don't quite use them as much as we could. Oh, I would totally, totally second that. I think, um, and I know some of the things I know, Pam, that, that you share with our survivors is, you know, be willing to ask for help and accept that help. Mm -hmm. That's a hard step for a lot of them. Oh, it, it is. It is. You know, and it, it, I think um, it, it sounds like Lee has been listening in on a lot of our uh, um, topics and classes and, and discussions here at the center mm -hmm. with regularity because, you know, it should come as no surprise to our listeners and folks that have actually been to the Survivorship Center why we offer what we offer. I think you just got a very good explanation of why at the center uh, we offer to our survivors yoga and Tai Chi and, and uh, Qigong, which is yeah. the seated form of Tai Chi and water exercise and walking group. And we always say, let your body determine how hard you go or your intensity and you know, all of our instructors are 
skilled at adapting activities and classes and, you know, chair yoga. We even, you know, make it so simple and easy so that it's, you know, you can be done in a chair. And so um, it's important, Pam, right, that, that our listeners understand that um, our activities, while we may have 50 or 60 in a month, um, it's something for them to pick and choose. They can pick what they can do at that time, you know, meeting them where they're at. And this kind of reminds me of also of when we had the cardiologist come and talk to us. Um, and he mentioned something, uh, 10% of something is better than 10% of nothing. So if it's walking down the street or walking around your house, that's better than nothing. It's being active. Being active. Yes. Um, do you have any um, nutrition um, tips for our survivors that are listening? Does nutrition play a role in the uh, fatigue? Yeah, so um, certainly as much as people can kind of optimize, um, you know, making sure that they have adequate caloric intake. And, you know, it's interesting, there are some people for whom that's a challenge. You know, they have uh, some ongoing anorexia or gastrointestinal symptoms that make it really hard to eat. There are other patients that fall into the category of where I think many of us feel, which is we're actually trying to um, be a little bit more judicious and limit what we're, what we're eating and what we have. Um, making sure adequate protein, um, that's one of the key components of muscle building. So I you know, try to recommend to patients, you know, you can look up what's the, you know, what, how many grams of protein you should have um, given your, your gender and your age and your weight. Um, trying to stay away from sugar. I mean, I think some of this is kind of the basic nutritional recommendations that a lot of us see. Um, we don't have a lot of evidence to support specific nutritional supplements. Um, like sometimes there's thoughts that people should be taking something like ginseng. Um, and that's really not something that uh, many of us have gotten behind yet, which is not, you know, what we see in, in the literature is, is, is not particularly impressive. So I usually just counsel patients that I don't want to give them something more that they feel they have to stress over, but if they can use some of just the basic nutritional guidance and making sure that they are getting adequate, um, adequate calories, preferably good lean protein intake, um, and staying hydrated, that's probably some good basic measures just to start with. You know, and I think, Pam, what, one of the things that, that Lee, you've said several times is start with, start with, start with, you know, it's, it's an ever evolving um, process and they, they need, they work through it, you know, just like exercising, um, talking about if I'm so tired, exercise seems really counterintuitive, but you know, we're talking about this, just starting where they are. You got to build a base. You got to build that, that, you know, it's that, uh, base of the triangle, right? You got to have a strong base and build that base to get back to where you can. I know, Pam, we've talked with our cancer exercise specialist um, several times where folks come in after having treatment and she starts them with a three pound weight or a two pound weight. And they go, man, I used to use 25 pounds when I was at the gym and they try to lift that 25 pounds. And it's like, uh, I need to go back to the two or three. Pound. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think, you know, I was, I was a musician as a child. And one of the common phrases that we would use is the hardest part of practicing is opening up the case. And there's not really cases people are opening up in these instances, but I think it speaks to the fact there's a certain level of inertia where just getting started is hard. And I think certainly, you know, when people look back to what they used to be able to do, it, it, it can be frustrating. And I always try to remind people a cancer diagnosis is a life-changing diagnosis. And in so many different ways, things we have to accept they're not quite going to be the same. 
And in order to move forward, it's sometimes pretty important to accept there's a new norm. And if we look back to what you could do last week, one month ago, two months ago, that's really kind of more relevant, a little bit more fair to yourself than what you could do five years ago. Well, and, and you'd hit on something incredibly important too, is our listeners need to be fair to themselves. We need to be fair to ourselves. And, um, you know, it's that you don't need to uh, be where we are our hardest critic. And so be, be nice to yourself, be easy on yourself. You've just gone through, or you're in the middle of going through treatment. Um, it, it, it's, you, you don't need to tell yourself you should be able to do this and you know, do what you can do what you can. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You talked about um, stress playing a role in fatigue. Um, is there any stress management tips that you have for our listeners? Um, yeah, and I think that's that's a really good point you bring up because I always try to talk to patients about trying to create momentum and some positive energy. And I think, you know, when we look at distress as probably being a manifestation of things like anxiety and depression that, you know, as we mentioned, um, clearly play play a role in fatigue, both as, as a cause and an, as an effect. Um, what I try to remind patients of is, again, going back to the importance of things like delegation and prioritization, where hopefully you get less frustrated and bogged down by not being able to get to tasks where you can rally around some of the people around you. I think with um, delegation, sometimes there's a social component to that too, where not only are you reaching out for people to help you, you're connecting with people. And that I think can be really, really valuable. I don't want to see some of my fatigue patients get isolated because I think that just, again, compounds all the other, all the other issues that are going on. Um, I think with stress, you know, cognitive behavior therapy is helpful. Not everybody has access to that. Um, I think we're seeing more and more sort of burgeoning online resources, um, all sorts of sometimes apps people will use. Um, and, you know, also you can connect with providers a little bit more easily remotely. Um, but I try to more than anything, just remind patients to respect their body and all their body has been through. I mean, I don't think we like to spend a lot of time talking about, you know, chemotherapy and just how rough the drugs are, but they are. And if you can sort of give yourself credit for having been through it, knowing that this is all a rebuilding process, knowing that it's just that a process, I think that can sometimes be helpful. Um, I think if patients really do feel like their distress is something that they have a little bit of a harder time kind of um, getting a grip on, I like to say to patients, if there's something you enjoy that normally would always make you smile and bring you happiness and you no longer find it's doing that, that's usually a sign that maybe we are looking at more of a real depression here. And that's something that you should definitely be talking about with your provider. You know, they themselves might be able to manage it or that might warrant a referral to psychiatry. Right. Yeah. You know, you talked about this a little bit earlier. You touched on this about talking with your provider, talking with your physician, talking with your nurse, your nurse practitioner, whoever your your provider is. Um, You know, is there a and this may sound kind of a, a, a very elementary question, but is there a perfect time or the right time to bring up fatigue? I mean, is it at the first sign of fatigue? Is it someone should, you know, uh, maybe I can try some things first and then bring it up to the doctor? Or is there really a right time? Um, I think as soon as a patient notices it, it should be brought up with the provider. Um yeah. I think in some ways for us, it's a little bit of a challenge because we mentioned earlier on, it's the most common symptom. Um, but at the same time, I find it to be one of the most hardest to treat. You know, a lot of these interventions we're going over are very process-based. Um, it's not like it's a quick fix. So I think in some ways it's, it's, it's a challenge for us to really kind of swoop in and intervene and make it better. But at the same time, we need to know about it. Um, you know, sometimes what happens is there are some underlying causes we should really be looking at. Um, sometimes, you know, it means that 
if we see this um, coupled or in conjunction with other symptoms, you know, do we need to do more blood work? Do we need to be looking at, is there some sort of a heart problem here? Sometimes there's a thyroid problem, or sometimes in men, we see hypogonadism, and those are things that we can treat. Um, sometimes we need to look a little bit more closely at mood. I have had patients where they had this very, very severe fatigue. It was not improving at all, and it really did indicate there was something else going on. So we talked about how prevalent cancer-related fatigue is, and I don't certainly don't want to alarm any patients. I think the vast majority of the times it is just that, but there can be some other things that we really should be looking at. We also can sometimes adjust medications. I know I'll look at a patient's medication list, and we'll see there might be things like um, anti-nausea medicines, some antidepressants, pain medications, certainly, um, some anticholinergics, you know, things like Benadryl or allergy meds that can also be contributing to fatigue. And if we can maybe make some adjustments to them, that can improve it. And that's something that we don't know to necessarily do that search if we don't know that a patient is experiencing the fatigue. Right. Wow. Um, I really hope that our listeners um, has taken this advice from Lee and know that um, it's common. It's the number one common symptom um, for going through cancer treatment and how important it is to take care of yourself, give yourself grace, and start baby steps. And we are here for you. We have all these classes. And the great thing is that we offer all these classes for free. So all it costs is a little bit of energy from you. And um, you're welcome to bring uh, you, your caregiver. And if it helps you bring somebody else so that you can get active, it's um, really important. You know, Pam, uh, one of the things that Lee shared that I, I really appreciate is uh, two simple words, delegation and prioritization. You know, we've, we've talked about this before. If you, if you make time for something, that's important to you. And so prioritizing coming to a class, prioritizing, um, you know, doing uh, um, stress relievers or whatever that might look like is best for each and every one of us at home. You don't have to come to the center necessarily. We want you to, uh, but we know we have listeners who live outside of Amarillo and or they work and are not able to come and, you know, find some way that you can prioritize um, these stress relievers, prioritize ways to combat your fatigue. I mean, that's huge. Just two words, delegation and prioritization. I think one thing I can um, add is, you know, sometimes it's hard. Um, my tip is to schedule time for yourself, write it in your planner, put it in your phone and set that reminder. So you know that it's your time. Um, if you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of somebody else. So true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lee, one of the, the last things we do, uh, Pete's car smart here in town has, uh, generously sponsored our podcast. And so we always like to end each podcast uh, talking about a Pete's powerful moment. And I don't know, um, uh, I know you've probably got several uh, to choose from with, with folks that you've worked with who maybe in, in the area of fatigue, you've seen uh, great strides uh, in their achievements and so forth. So we, we kind of want to throw it back to you and say, share with us, if you will, uh, a Pete's powerful moment. Sure. Um, so as you said, there's there's a lot, and I admire so many of my patients and, and how much they, they go through. And I think some people who think they're very ordinary are really quite extraordinary. Uh, but one example that comes to mind is uh, there was a patient, she was a um, younger patient, I would say, and she was a mother, she was working full time. She was also a runner and uh, really quite incredible, a marathon runner. So 26.2 miles for, for anybody who doesn't know. 
um, got diagnosed with breast cancer, went through the treatment, and um, a year later is is running a 5K. So 5K is 3.1 miles. So, you know, in her mind, we've gone from 26.2 to 3.1, which is obviously much less. Right. And, you know, she said to me after the race, she goes, you know what, I feel more accomplished than I did after my marathon, uh, her first marathon, in that just, you know, with all that she had been through, and I think how much really kind of energy and how much of herself she invested into that 5k, it felt like it was that much of an achievement. And to me, it was just like, oh my gosh, you get it, kind of, you know, you get that you don't look back at what happened before all this and hold yourself to that standard. And then, get disappointed when you can't uphold it, that that's really not, not productive, that you have to look at this as this is a new chapter, a new phase, a lot has changed and recognize all that you have done and how far you have come. So uh, that's just an example I, I share of how I think um, I would like more patients to be able to kind of look at that it through that lens. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking forward, you know, um, you, you, there's, what is the saying? Uh, there's no reason to look backward. You're not going that way. You need to be mm-hmm. looking forward. And, yeah. and I think I can, I can certainly relate to that understanding of, of, you know, the, your, your marathon runner took uh, the, the time and energy to get back on her feet. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it really shows a lot of focus and determination. Lee, thank you so much uh, you. for what, what you do for your patients there. Um, I know that um, they are extremely appreciative of, of your, knowledge, experience, and, and the time you take with your patients. I know our listeners are um, really thankful that, that you were able to join us today on our podcast and be a part of this to share your wealth of information and share your knowledge with them uh, to help such uh, combat such a, a most common and very uh, powerful side effect of cancer, which is cancer-related fatigue. We thank you so much for joining us today. The pleasure has been all mine. Um, Thank you so much and uh, best of luck to everyone. Well, thank you very much. And to all of our listeners, we encourage you guys to like our podcast, to share our podcast, share this information because it's important. If you know someone who is going through cancer treatment, um, you know, it's important that you share these types of information and our podcast with them because we do, we, we, we reach out to folks, Pam, we find our, our, our experts in the field and, and can share that information with them. And uh, we want to make sure that everyone understands uh, that, you know, fatigue is normal, but you don't have to really just struggle and suffer with it. That's right. And if they have um, topics that they would like us to cover and make sure that they send us an email at info at the number two, four survivorship.org or give us a call at 806-331-2400. That's right. That's right. Well, we do appreciate all of our listeners being with us today. And uh, again, uh, thank you, Lee, for joining us. And we hope everyone will be back next week for another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.